0: Welcome to Books and Beyond with your hosts Karen and Louisa. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl and she works in a library. Yeah, standing there. No my hi and my and welcome to Books and Beyond. This is your host, Alison, and today I'm delighted to be joined by the author, Stacey Gregg, and we'll be talking about her new book, Prince of Ponies, published by Harper Collins. Kia ora, Stacey. Thanks Hi, for coming husband. in today. It's so good to see you. Thank you for having me. This is great, and look, congratulations on the release of the book. I've got it in my hand at the moment. It's just beautiful. It is beautiful. I'm,
1: I'm thrilled with the way HarperCollins have been with these books, they're gorgeous hardbacks with sparkly covers
0: so yeah that's yeah. a really inviting design isn't it it, it is. just invites you to dive on in. and there's so much movement on the cover as well
1: well there was a lot of discussion this time actually about putting the spotlight on the girl because one of the girls in the narrative it's a dual narrative story partly set in the modern day in Berlin about a young Syrian refugee girl Mira and also set during World War II in Poland and, and Berlin and so we were trying to somehow at the same time capture escaping from the Nazis th- through the forest <laughs> <laughs> with a spotlight on you and um, also being in the Grand Prix show jumping arena so it's a, it's a weird sort of um, double take on the cover really but um w- there's a lot works. of meaning I'm reading into it anyway that kids when they pick it up aren't
0: <laughs> yeah yeah but I suppose that's why I got that sense of movement yeah through yep. it. I'm oh, glad you got it yeah that's good <laughs> and Stacey how does it feel when you when you see your new book in print there's always a wonderful moment when
1: you get your advanced copy and that is kind of a cool thing but the weird thing for me because I'm published out of HarperCollins in the UK but I'm very much looked after by HarperCollins New Zealanders. I will, there will be an Australian version and a UK version. And because of the distance, often I end up um, with the Australian version first. And sometimes, I've, I've a couple of times, I've had friends say to me, oh, I've just bought your book. And they've had copies of it before oh, I, I have. <laughs> Oh so goodness. sometimes the shops get it before I do. So oh. that's a bit anticlimactic.
0: So a bit of delayed uh, gratification. Delayed gratification is exactly what <laughs> being an author is about.
1: Yeah. Delayed payment
0: as well. Oh yes, royalties are
1: the ultimate delayed oh.
0: gratification. Yes. Well, look, I just absolutely loved the the book, and I I couldn't put it down. Um, and I I really feel that it would be such a good history lesson for our young readers. Um, describing the the reality of of war and being a refugee, do you um, when you write do you have an aim that you want to be teachable with or
1: teachable moments? It's it's kind of been a weird thing that's happened as I've started writing these true stories and well based on true stories fiction, which started with the Princess and the Fall, which was the one based on the childhood of Princess Haya of Jordan, Jordan, who was of course. Mm. The daughter of King Hussein of Jordan and what she went through when she was um, grief-stricken after the death of her mother when she was three years old. Queen Alia was killed in a helicopter crash. Princess Haya was devastated. And at the age of six, her father, the king, realized that the way to bring his daughter back to life um, was to give her another living soul that had suffered Mm -hmm. as much as she had. And he gifted her a foal from his royal stables whose mother had died in childbirth. Well, in mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and the story went from there and it was entirely based on her true life so at that point I started seeing that there was a chance for me to use my journalistic background and all the experience I'd gained researching as a journalist and to bring that to bear on fiction so it became a real um, a, a platform for me in, in the way I worked to do that and in the process what I found is there was so much history I didn't know mm-hmm. and For me the great joy of doing the books is that I'm learning stuff, that I'm Mm -hmm. discovering how Spain was during the Inquisition or how the Black Plague actually worked, you know, and 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 talking to wonderful people like for I think for um for that particular book, for The Island of Lost Horses. I had tracked down a guy in the States who was the world expert on the Black Plague and had written six books on the plague and they were the authoritative texts. And him and I spent a lot of time talking about how I was gonna kill a character with the plague Mm. but she needed to be in a certain part of Italy uh, of Spain sorry and she was in Seville but I knew that that actually it had had to travel down somehow from Madrid and we talked about how the flea would you know would it survive rolled up in carpet and Mm. you know would Mm. it be bubonic because there were other types of plague that he thought might be better but bubonic was the Mm. most dramatic and so you start having these conversations that are like real minutiae of history um stuff that most people don't bother with no um and that I wouldn't know myself if I didn't have to research these books and for me um working on the new one Prince of Ponies which of course is set in Poland and Berlin during World War Two, I mean I was frequently moved to tears and devastated mm. by you know the research content and then it's a matter of filtering through that and figuring out what's the true story I'm telling here but how much do I give to the readers because mm. I'm bearing in mind that these are 8 to 12 year old kids. And they, they can handle history and they can handle drama and they can handle trauma, but sometimes you need to see it out of the corner of your eye rather than confronting it straight on. And and that's the way, for instance, I think when Sophia's parents are, are killed by the SS, um, probably about a third of the way into the book, maybe a bit earlier than that, and the, she almost sees their deaths, but they happen off page. Mm. And that's... that's The way I kind of often will handle things and often I will be consulting quite heavily with my editor as to just how much we give them, how far we push it. Because, you know, you want them to understand the seriousness of the true facts behind the story, but you don't want to be traumatizing them in a way that they're not still uplifted and carried by the narrative
0: Mm, mm. yes it's quite a fine balance isn't it and you know in the book i i really loved the relationship between Mira and sophia and um i wondered if there was anything you were trying to convey to the readers about their relationship because they've both been through such terrible times hadn't they yeah and i think it it starts out very
1: prickly their relationship Mm. and it it blossoms into a kind of you know there's always going to be a sternness to Sophia because she's gone through so much with the war and um I think there's that generation were very sort of stiff upper lip and pull mm. yourself together and or you know you think you've got it tough I, I I had it much tougher than you but you can see that behind that she's incredibly caring and you know Mira is going through she's a Syrian refugee so she's been through absolute trauma to get to Berlin mm. but then
0: once she's in Berlin the trauma hasn't kind of ended. No because she doesn't get treated that well does she in the you know those sort of upmarket cafes and yes
1: um she her mother takes her out of um the Sonnenallee which is the Arab district of Berlin mm. where the refugees tend to congregate and that's where they're often housed when they arrive and she gets taken to another neighborhood um down the edge of the Grunewald and it's it's called Roseneck and it's very fancy Um, And so it was great for me when I was in Berlin researching it because I was kind of hanging out. I was staying in the Sonnenallee and then going during the day to the Grunewald and hanging out in that sort of chic cafe Mm -hmm. district where there really there's In the story, there's a cafe where everyone takes their dogs and it's a dog cafe, and that cafe really exists. Wow. Everyone, you know, takes their Mm schnauzes and their Mm -hmm. dashens there. And so she. But she's in this world where she's obviously at a posh school or at least a very upper middle class German school. And she's a Syrian refugee and she's not treated very well. She's bullied by the the other kids at the school and um, that was the for me those were the hardest parts to write because mm-hmm. um i think bullying is is quite a it's quite a weird thing to write as an author you don't want to actually create a cycle of abuse th- through what you're writing mm-hmm. you want to but you, at the same time you want to highlight um wh- you know how how utterly terrifying and horrible it is for her and what i ended up drawing from for the bullying scenes actually was that dreadful UK opinion columnist Katie Hopkins oh, yes. who is just mm, like mm, know, mm. the human equivalent of gum on your shoe really mm. and she had um, she had written disgusting things about refugees and mm. referred to them frequently as cockroaches oh yeah
0: that's right and is. so that's
1: what the girls in my story that that's mm. the nickname for Mira at school is she's cockroach and to me yes. I just thought that uh, Every time I wrote it, I was Mm. horrified by what I was writing. (laughs) Yes, Um, and the 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 fact that she's got to kind of rise above the pettiness of, of of kids who probably really don't understand but also do understand yeah. what they're doing, yeah. you know, and I think that's the horribleness of that age. Is yes, and that if you're other, the otherness, isn't yes. it? Just otherness. Yes. And I think Sophia, who's been through what she would consider to be a lot more than that, um, by the end of it, she starts to see that for Mira... Th- that's just as much of a horror as it was, you know, being human trafficked out of mm, Syria. Mm, mm.
0: Oh, it's oh, This is all making it sound very yes. heavy,
1: but I swear when kids read this, this is really just, it's like all my books, they're just big epic adventures. Yes, look- oh, <laughs> oh yes,
0: and you just get, you know, it's like riding through, you ride the wave through the book. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they're wonderful. <laughs> so, getting back to riding and and horses, did you always want to write about horses? Uh, writing about horses kind of came, in in a way, it was a a
1: conscious decision because I had been a horsey girl when I was young Mm. and I had loved horse books. Mm -hmm. They were, I adored Walter Farley's Black Stallion books and actually when I met Princess Hire, this was the thing that bonded us. We both started talking about how much we'd loved the Black Stallion and of Mm -hmm. course she loved it because she was Bedouin and she'd grown up in the desert in a very similar fashion to the Black Stallion books. I loved it because it was so exotic and foreign to me. And I also love the Jill books by Ruby Ferguson. Oh. They were just so... She was one of those first writers that broke down the fourth wall and she t- almost talked directly to the reader and she was very dry and very laconic. And um, the real Ruby Ferguson, the author, had been incredibly rivalrous with Enid Blyton and had loathed oh. her. <laughs> and
0: so I do loathe Enid yes. Blyton. I
1: find them very saccharine and cloying mm. and I know people oh, have no. favourites but yes. I just always thought they were so twee. Yes. And when I found out in retrospect as an adult that Ruby Ferguson had, had hated, was the anti-Blyton, yes. I thought no wonder I gravitated oh, yes. to these books. She, yes. was, she was so me. So you go girl. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I loved horse books and I had ponies growing up, yeah. not in a fancy pants way in a very sort of, you know, we went to Narrow Hill Pony Club, which was a mm. very good pony club um, back in the day and, you know, the Waikato was a great place mm. to have horses. But horses were a more egalitarian experience With back a, then, yeah. I think, than they yes. are now.
0: They're a bit out of reach for a lot of people now, aren't they? Certainly when so I
1: ponied up and got my daughter a, a horse, mm. um, it was a, it was a different experience. It was the The horses were all, the bloodlines were much more Sort of sought after, and you were you were really thinking about whether the pony was purpose built for what you were buying. For. They're mm. worth more money now. But yes, trying to yes. Say. my pony was like you know five hundred bucks, and yes. and just refused every jump, sort of thing. You know, mm. like mm. The, the pony you don't want. Um, my yeah. first pony was cool, but my second yes. one was a bit of a tart.
0: It's a, it's a <laughs> bit like dogs in a way, isn't it? But, so now they've all got sort of yes, it's, you know, it's exactly retro like that. Doodle, yeah. We all it's just like had mutts back yes, in the day now right. everyone's
1: got fancy things. Yes. And you can't stop progress. <laughs> yes,
0: that, that's right. Um, well, I was talking um, earlier about how you just sort of ride that wave through your, your books and that's why I love them. Um, you really, I found that you really get drawn into the, the narrative right from the first page. Um, you, you get grabbed by the story um, and I... Certainly couldn't put this one down. Oh, um, oh, thank you. Yeah, so I guess that's that's great for young readers, isn't it? Um, but I was going to ask you: th- is that a special technique of writing? Do you think, without giving away too many secrets? <laughs> I, 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 I think cliffhangers and
1: chapter endings, where, where the kid just wants to keep going, are definitely. They're kind of a learned skill as you go on, and I feel like I I learnt on the job. Like by about book three or four in the Pony Club Secret series, I'd figured out how to write. Them. Oh, okay, um, yes. But I also think if you if you pick up books that you often loved as a kid and you read them now, I. Uh, sometimes they still hold up but mm. often you go oh my god this is so slow mm. you know horsey books back then it would take them an entire chapter to feed them an apple mm-hmm. and you would suck that up as a kid yes because, we still love them yeah you I mean, still love them and the pace of them was quite different in those days whereas now it's a little bit more like if you look at action movies now you're straight into blowing up the building and like the opening sequence yes, you're not waiting was, for that
0: no that's right <laughs> That's um, an instant gratification, really.
1: instant gratification generation. Yes, Look, yes, if you don't keep the them moving from chapter to chapter, they're going to go and read that,
0: tweets or something. Yes, that, yeah, no, good point. And do you think I? I had wondered that if if you've been a journalist or you're a journalist as well, whether that helps a bit with that sort of really clear, clean narrative for kids or 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 is it a separate art? I think it's a very separate
1: art and um, when I was a journalist back in in the day and I'd I'd been on More Magazine and Sunday Star Times Mm -hmm. and Fashion Quarterly and various other titles and I had never considered that I could write fiction I didn't Mm. think I had the imagination for Mm. it, I really didn't Um, you know and I'd done lots of creative writing when I was a kid but I also didn't think it was a proper job Mm -hmm. so I think well what shifted was once I started doing it, it's it's really a match fitness thing, your brain the more your brain does it the more it comes naturally oh, to you and the more yes. you think okay it's just telling a story and I do know how to tell a story because that is what I did as a feature writer, I told oh, yes. a story and the only difference here is that I'm making some of it up in my head. Mm, Whereas, when I was a journalist, that wasn't yes. allowed.
0: No. <laughs> they told um, you off for that. Unless it was fake news, I yeah, guess. Unless it I? was fake news. <laughs> Yes, but you weren't allowed to <laughs> but, up yeah. until quite recently. Yeah. <laughs> Were you? Fake news
1: back then was frowned upon. I yes. Think, yeah, fake news now is just non-existent, mm, but that's, you know, mm, another story. But yeah. I, I would say that Trump was the huge influence when I was writing The Fire Stallion, the book before this. Oh, I was so angry Yes, about... Um, men um telling women what they Mm. thought i think that's how those characters of and brunhilde came out and the next thing you know i was having massive viking sword fights and she was going to usurp her brother to take over the throne because Mm -hmm. i was just really cross yes oh that's interesting (laughs) yeah so you know you kind of divert those energies yes there's there's always something in the political environment and in the ether around you and in your own life that Mm. turns up in the books yeah um so they're a form of catharsis yes and i know that you know usually cathartic writing is kind of something you should do for yourself and stick in a drawer but you can still in a commercial sense kind of get something off your chest and people might not notice that you're doing it i don't think anyone's picking up the fire stallion and going Mm. this is because she was really cross (laughs) about trump
0: (laughs) i I was just thinking i'm gonna have to have another look at it but (laughs) yeah so you can sort of fly under the radar a bit yeah with it yeah Yeah, sort of
1: subtle feminism (laughs)
0: yes (laughs) excellent um now getting back to to horses and you know that essential essence that a horse has and I'm not sure if it's to do with their sentience as well but what do you think it is about horses that attracts us as as readers
1: yeah well the the first thing obviously is that again you can have fantastic epic adventures with a horse you know they are big powerful fast moving creatures so if you're writing children's fiction and you need to first of all get that child away from the parents and you need to get them into a position of danger. Well, you're not doing that with a chicken, you know, or oh, a guinea pig. Yes, or a Or a, yes, yes, a dashin. Ch- yes, well, yes, there
0: only. is isn't oh, in this book,
1: and he's the one that starts all the trouble. true. Yes. And I feel like there's, again, that's quite zeitgeisty yes. at the yes. moment. Everyone has Dachshunds right now, yes. and they are the it dog. And yes. when I started writing this, I didn't really notice that because, um, yeah, there's Rolf, the dashing Rolf, in the book. He, yes. He's the one that causes most of the he trouble. does, yes. And he's the reason Sophia um, softens Tamira, because she oh, right, she loves yes. the dog, and yes. she would have been rid of the girl in a shot if she hadn't had the dashing mm. with her, which I think is very old people. You can, you can often win them over. I know, when I say old people, I'm always thinking of my grandmother when I write these mm, books. She was mm. incredibly brittle and bristly and forthright and had absolutely no sort of, the frontal lobe was totally gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but just would stand up for what she thought was right and was just wonderfully kind. But it was hidden always beneath that bedrock of toughness
0: that
1: always was maintained. So on the one hand, she could turn around and say something, Utterly devastating Mm. and cruel if she felt it was necessary, Mm. and then be enormously kind
0: and certainly, you know, adored animals. Yes, if there was a a dog to to cuddle, there was a dog to cuddle. Things totally change. (laughs) 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 And because when you look into the face of a dog or a a horse, sometimes I think it's the eyes that that get you, don't they? Like those sort of knowing, kind eyes and.
1: Horse's eyes,
0: I think, are like, you know, one of the greatest gifts in the mm. universe. You know, looking mm. into a
1: horse's eyes are, still makes me... I, My horse is... um inc- Well, my daughter's horse, actually, but I, I look after him a lot because she's working full-time these days oh. and doesn't get a mm. chance to get out there. Um, And he's incredibly handsome and he mm. does just make me melt. He's mm. also got an incredibly bad temper, but that's mm-hmm. a different story. But, yeah, the, I mean, there's, there's physically there's something about... It. I mean, I think the, the way that they are constructed is just... You know, a beautiful horse is a breathtaking thing to look at. Yes, certainly, magnificent, aren't they? In Prince of Ponies, of course, um, Sophia's horse Prince is—he's a purebred Polish Arabian—and they are. I mean, they're just spectacular. They move across the earth like nothing else. They are amazing
0: creatures. Because you know, that was something that I learned from the book that I didn't realise that Hitler, as well as wanting a master race of humans they were wanting a, a master race of horses yeah really too and uh, see i'm learning all, lifelong learning I know and, um, and, and uh, yeah why stop eugenics at
1: people when you <laughs> do, i guess I, the, the, I think this book kind of does combine the two things that the nazis were fascinated by and that was um you know breeding bloodlines Mm. And um, stealing stuff mm. <laughs> like art, and <laughs> like a, yes, like and you know, Robinson. yeah, when yes. they did the looting and of, of artworks throughout Europe, um, they were also looting horses at the same time. This was a, a real phenomenon,
0: mm. and I didn't know that. I've, yeah, so yeah. Well,
1: you might recall there was that amazing Disney movie called The Miracle of the White Horses. Oh, and yes. it was about General Patton going in to um, rescue the. Uh, Andalusians, the Spanish. Lip- mm. so, sorry, the Lipizzaners from the um, Viennese oh, Spanish, the Spanish riding school. Yeah, and these horses had been um, they'd been sent to two different places: to Hostel in Czechoslovakia to a stud farm for safekeeping by the Nazis, and also into a small village called Saint Martin in the Tyrolean Alps, um, where they were also being safeguarded. And during this period at Hostel, um, the Nazis were actually trying to breed their master race oh. of super horses. So, they had gathered up not just the Lipizanas, but also um, French horses, the French thoroughbreds, the tricanas, um, and these Polish Arabians. And their plan was mm-hmm. to kind of interbreed them all and create this ultimate war horse. And there was a man appointed to be the head of this division called Gustav Rao, who was Hitler's master of the horse. Oh. And so, he was, in, he was in charge of sort of cherry-picking the best stallions from across Europe and breeding them to create these these horses. So in, in, in the Disney movie, of course, um, Patton does actually actively send his men in to save the Lipizanahs because at this stage the Russian Russians are approaching, the Red Army are marching and they are hungry and he knows they'll just shoot the horses oh, and eat mm-hmm. them. So they needed to get the Lipizanahs out and they do save them. And Alois Podotsky, who was in charge of the, the Vien- Viennese riding school, um, he got his horses back. But a lot of the other horses were... Um, eventually, they were just considered to be the spoils of war, and the Americans um, auctioned them off and sent them back to the states.
0: Oh, and did they end up on far or yeah, like heard and so these
1: incredible um, mm. purebred Polish Arabian stallions with impeccable bloodlines ended up being like cow horses in the Midwest mm. Mm. Um, because they didn't try to repatriate them, which is what they do do in my story. This yes. this is where the fiction comes in, is that. Um, you know so these horses are they're going to try and get them home again mm. by the end and more importantly of course Sophia is is she's at Janel Podlaski which is the Polish Arabian stud where she will be from, for a good deal of the story mm. um, and she's trying to protect her stallion prince and the other Polish Arabians there as she has the Nazis and the Red Army closing mm. in from both sides mm. and this is all very much based on the on the real course of events that happened around this stud farm um and she's got one particular horse prince that she Mm, mm. that is you know he's kind of the cream of the crop and he's the one that that Hitler himself
0: has his eye on Mm, mm. (laughs) oh it's so it's so exciting um yeah and the suspense in it as well um I wanted to ask you about um how you go about writing scenes where um a horse or, or a dog gets injured or or dies Um, and how, because those scenes are so distressing to read aren't they? We have this thing about animals.
1: Yeah, absolutely and there there are a couple of pivotal moments where um, I was thinking about how far to take it Um, Mm. I mean there is a pivotal moment for Sophia where where her parents are killed and it kind Mm. of happens off page but it happens very near off page Um, and but I felt in a way that, that the reader could take that more easily than if Olaf, her dog, mm, mm. Um, didn't pull through. Yeah, so, I'm
0: like that. I would have. It would have broken me. <laughs> yeah, 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 and It
1: probably would have broken me to write it. So mm. that's probably my barometer is the point when I go, I just couldn't do this. I can't go through it myself. Mm. And I'm quite affected by what I put on the page. I mean, I'm... Mm. I'm yeah, I'm a bit of a drama queen, quite overly <laughs> emotional. So as I'm writing, you know, I'll frequently be moved to tears by what's happening to the characters. Yes. Um, and I certainly, you know, I, it's, it's not been beyond me to, to kill a horse um, mm. and for the sake of the story because I think you need to have casualties for things mm. to matter. And and death is, you know, there's never a book of mine that doesn't have death in it because mm. death is the, the pivotal thing that happens to us that affects change, especially for that age group, you know, yes. coming to terms coming, with the yes. And at the same time, I think the wonderful thing for kids is that mostly, um, you know, and I speak broadly, it's not true, unfortunately, for all kids, but mostly they, they don't have a full comprehension of um. The finality of death, mm, mm. so you you can kind of, in a way, they can they can keep it in a fictional realm more easily. Yes. than you, if you've actually gone through big heartache and and you know major life change yourself because of death and change.
0: Yeah, and that's interesting how you you say that your own feelings are kind of a good measuring stick for you know how far can we. Can we take this yeah, with th- your readers? I
1: think the wonderful thing for me about my job is that it's actually now become a sort of prerequisite that part of me maintains being twelve years old.
0: Yes, <laughs> wonderful. So you're in a in a tw- um, yes in a twelve year old. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and I, I I'm quite reluctant to leave there. <laughs> yes, <laughs> no, fair enough. Yeah, and because they do have that old saying, don't they? Which I, and I subscribe to this as well. That uh, I'll read anything as long as the dog doesn't die <laughs> in it, and that's my sort of reading range as well. But it's yes, well a I home. can assure listeners that the dog in Prince of Ponies mm. does not die. Yes. There, will, will, there may be tears before bedtime but it won't be because of that. <laughs> because um, I wanted to briefly touch on um, the book that you wrote, The Thunderbolt Pony, um, mm. about the kakora earthquakes and and I know in that I was so worried about the the dog and the horse oh and um, the cat and Moxie. the cat d- yes moxie's
1: oh. moxie's got a few few moments for a few chapters yes. where
0: we're really on the edge of our seats about what's yes. going to yes the nine nine lives yes yes and um but I felt that um it was so well done you I really got the sense of the effect of, of the earthquakes on the the population of humans and and animals and that fear and and anxiety um that you've written about as well well that book partly
1: came about because I'd been touring Christchurch a lot at that point with um previous books and I was frequently um really moved by the way the kids were coping and not coping Mm. with post-traumatic stress Mm. um after the Christchurch earthquakes and I'd never been able to kind of fit a story around that because I felt like Christchurch was too urban as a setting Oh, and then the Kaikoura quake happened and I thought oh, okay, I can work with this mm. Mm. Um, and then I, I went down for a little bit of a research trip and I, I got to Parnassus which is the town that's 64 kilometres south of Kaikoura and it had been isolated and, and evacuated during the quake when it struck yes. the bridge had gone out at one end, the road had gone out at the other and then they needed to get the people out and I'd also been um, thinking about the fact that when the early Christchurch quakes happened and they were evacuating people from their homes, they were forced to leave their pets oh behind. Oh, no, A yes. policy which then changed because yes. the SPCA pushed for that to yes. change. Yes. So thank it was... You, thank it was goodness. Um, yeah, it was very much motivated by talking to children and um, mm. watching the way they were coping with stress and with and particularly with um, OCD, with yes. obsessive compulsive yes. disorder, which the heroine
0: in my story has. Has yeah, I felt that you really did that in a sensitive manner. Um, uh, yeah, well, thank it was you. Handled so so well. Um, I could just go on and on. We could talk for longer. But I wanted to give a bit of a shout-out to the upcoming um, Celebrate New Zealand Bookshop Day that's um, coming up, and that's over Labor Weekend. So I think it's the Saturday, the, the 26th. Yes, the it October. is the 26th, yes. And um, I gather that you're going to be um, in Ponsonby at our Lees Institute Library. Yes. And that um, Dorothy Butler bookshop next door because you've always been a supporter of independent bookshops haven't you and hugely and Helen and Mary
1: who run um Dorothy Butler are just super cool and they do an amazing job there and uh, we we actually we we launched um Minnie Winnie happy birthday to me my picture book with Ruth Paul there in the park with miniature ponies oh um, how fabulous that was last year yes yeah and the new Minnie Winnie has just come out so that's really cool right
0: (laughs) yes oh I'm looking forward forward to that yeah well that's going to be a great day it is going to be a great day Saturday. i'm looking forward to it yes me too oh well look um thank you so much for coming in today stacy it's just been wonderful talking to you um really really appreciate it so we've been talking to stacy about her fabulous new book prince of ponies uh, published by harper collins um it's just been great great talking to you today so listeners thanks for tuning in and um, until next time happy reading